0: Well, thank you so much for being here today. Again, my name is Sellers, as Larry said, and I'm the college pastor here at North Star. So whether you're in the room, you're over in the chapel or watching online, thank you for being here. Let me give you a head start. Open up to John chapter 10. So in your Bible, John 10, or you can use our app through North Star Church Georgia on the App Store. And let me just set the scene for you. So as I was thinking going into preaching this this week, I began to have flashbacks to a moment in my life. See, I was a junior in high school, and we were going on a whitewater rafting trip down the Ocoee River near Cleveland, Tennessee. So we're going on this trip, and if you look, I'm in the back right of this raft, and I've picked that seat specifically, because that seat is the guide. I'm gonna lead the people because I know what I'm doing. Not because I've been rafting before, but because I'm a junior in high school, and I know everything. I mean, am I right, parents? I knew what I was doing, I can get us there. Like I've never seen this raft or this river. I got us, we're going home, we got this. And what began to happen, if you know me, you know there are two things that I hate and I've got college students in the room who will attest to this. I hate being partially wet. And you're like, what does that mean? I either wanna be fully submerged or fully dry, not in between. And I also hate being cold, which means for a fun time in a raft in a river where I am partially wet and very, very cold. So we're going down the river, and it's, it's been a pretty good trip so far. I mean, we've had the guide leading us. He's saying, paddle hard, slow up, you can rest, right side three, left side back two. We've gone backwards. We've gotten out and swam. We even rode the bull, which is where you get on the front and, like, have a little strap, and you go one-handed like you're riding a bull. And we get to the last part of the river, and the guide looks at us and says, Guys, this is the worst part of the river. Listen to me, and I'll get you there. And then 30 seconds later, we began to flip. That is me, that's my arm, outstretched hand right there, reaching, and I was holding onto that black strap. And let me walk you through what's going through my brain. I'm holding on, and the raft for me means safety. If I am in the raft, I am safe. So I'm holding onto that strap for dear life, and then it hits me. If I hold the strap and I fall off, that means the raft will go upside down. And that is a bad spot to be in the worst part of river. So me, again, junior, knowing everything, I gotta be the selfless leader at this point. So instead of holding on, I begin to push off of the raft because again, maybe I'll just knock it flat and I jump into the river selflessly like the leader that I am and I am freaking out. I mean, we're in the middle of it, it's the worst. I don't know where I am. You go under and you come up and you don't know what to do. And I swim back to the raft and the guide who's there in the black helmet pulls me up and looks at me and says, get everyone in the raft now. So I go and I begin to pick up my friend Matt. And if we go back to the previous second picture, if you look on this picture, you will notice a lack of one thing and that's biceps. I do not have those. You might could say I still don't have those and that would be hurtful, I I would not appreciate that. But in that particular picture, I'm maybe a hundred pounds sopping wet, which I currently was because I was just in a river. So I am holding on to Matt by his life vest trying to pull him in. But then Matt grabs onto our friend Andy. And again, lack of biceps, one dude trying to curl him up, not the best. Two guys, not happening. So I am standing there freaking out, scared to death, freezing cold, partially wet, fully wet really at that point. And I begin to question what is going to happen. And Matt, I will never forget this, Matt lets out this scream. It just curls my blood. I mean, literally he screams, ow, my legs, they hurt the rocks, ow. Because what had happened is that I held on to Matt, he kicked his legs under the rocks, or under the rafts, and we began to go over some jagged rocks. So in that moment, I'm holding on to Matt, he is screaming, I'm scared to death. And I begin to question, will the guide ever come and help? And if I'm honest with you, today we're going to be in John chapter 10 talking about the good shepherd. And when I tell that story, you may begin to think, when is the guide going to come and help me in my life? When is God going to step in? Because I don't know if he is good. When will he help? Maybe today, again, if we're honest, and that's what I'm asking for you. I'm not asking you to come all together today and be perfect and put together. I'm asking you to put your cards on the table and to be honest with yourself. And maybe you see God not as a good shepherd, but as a distant shepherd. What I realized looking back, I was easily able to pull these photos up on Facebook. And I began to think, again, I am drowning to death in my head. Like I am terrified I'm going to die. And I realized that there's somebody five feet away that could have helped and they're like, oh, this is a great photo. Like, this is, this is the perfect moment. Like, the terror on their face is gonna get everybody to come to our river because they are terrified and it's gonna make a great shot. And maybe you, if you're really honest, would say, I feel the same way about God. He's off in the distance, taking the photos as my life is falling apart. And maybe for you, it's not that God is a distant shepherd, but maybe it's he's a demanding shepherd. He is the guide who is yelling at you and telling you to do it perfectly and telling you to do it better and telling you to change this and change that. And then when you get it wrong, he yells again and yells again and you feel berated by what you consider a demanding God because you can't live up to this standard. Maybe that's the way that you view God this morning. Or maybe it's not that he is distant or that he is demanding. Maybe it's that he's devious. He is scheming. He put the rocks there. He knew we would fall. He knew we would flip. He knew that this would happen in your life, in my life, and he was waiting for it, it joyfully watching because he's a devious God. But what we learn today in John chapter 10 is with Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd. So let's read this out together. John chapter 10, if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? We do this for two reasons, in my opinion. The first is this we are standing out of awe and reverence for the word of God that he spoke to us. But we also do this standing on the promises that God has fulfilled, is currently fulfilling, and forever will fulfill. John chapter 10, starting in verse 10, this is Jesus saying this The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Dear God, I come to you this morning asking that you would show up tangibly today. God, I pray for the person who walked in this room, maybe for the first time or the second time, and they're coming in with hurt and baggage and shame, God, and I pray that they bring that to your feet and hear how you are good. God, I pray that you continue to draw us in as we learn from your word what your son had to say in John chapter 10. God, allow it to search our hearts Help us to not come pridefully to this word like we have it all together, but let it search us and chip away at the calluses in our own heart. God, help us to glorify you this morning. It's your name I pray. Amen, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for standing with me. So John chapter 10, let me give you a little context because we've got to be able to get here to understand what Jesus is saying in this particular passage. So Jesus, in chapter 9 of John, had just healed a blind man of his sight. I mean, he'd been blind his whole life, and he had healed this man, and this man goes to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and they are mad. Now, that should be like cause for celebration. Like a miracle happened, the blind can see, but they are angry because Jesus did it on the Sabbath, the day of rest. So they begin to question Jesus. They begin to go against Jesus in this moment. And if you were with us two weeks ago, we started in chapter 10 with Cole saying, I am the door. So this whole chapter is really Jesus comparing the leaders of their time, the Pharisees, with himself. I mean, he talks about in particular that the Pharisees are the hired hand. And the Pharisees again for us we were like oh of course they're bad people they've got a bad rap but they were the the popular people in that society people came to them for answers they came to them for the religious questions but really the Pharisees they were selfish they were legalistic they cared a lot more about the rules than the people and we begin to see this group who's supposed to be the leader become the hired hand who would run when life was tough Again, people are coming to them for advice, for direction, for guidance in their life. So the question for us becomes this morning is who is guiding your life? What is giving you advice? What is challenging the way that you think about the world? Is it social media? And some of you are like, oh, it's, it's those kids in TikTok. It's the worst thing ever, but I've been on Facebook. I mean, you wish somebody happy birthday and all of a sudden there's a full fist fight going on in your comments. Like, Facebook reality, Facebook doesn't care about you guys. Neither does Instagram, neither does TikTok. So if it doesn't care about you, then why are you taking your value from it? Again, we don't take advice from something that doesn't care about us. And maybe it's not social media. Maybe that's not your your thing. Maybe it's the shows that you watch. Um, This is probably the hardest part about being a college pastor. I love my college students, but they also love The Bachelor, which is Awesome, they do this huge night. I mean, literally, they bring tons of students. They eat charcuterie boards, which just means a bunch of fancy cheese. Like, they love it for some reason. But it's really awkward when I have to tell them, have high standards for dating. Wait for somebody that is good. But then their standards they set is a volcano ride helicopter over top of it for the perfect first date ever, seeing the beautiful scenery in Hawaii. And it's like, guys, that's not going to happen. Like, If that's the case, then Hannah's had a miserable life because she's never seen a volcano, maybe never even seen a helicopter at this point. Like that's how opposite of the standard we set is. But if we're taking our relationship advice, again, I'm not saying we can't watch the show, that's cool, but if we take our relationship advice from somebody who's dating 30 people at once, I think we've got it turned around a little bit. I think we're missing the point. So the question becomes this morning, who do you take your advice from? And the the larger question of the day is is why does this matter? So every week you should ask that question, why does this matter? A couple weeks ago, why does it matter that Jesus is the bread of life? Why does it matter he's the light of the world or the door, the resurrection and the life? And the question we wanna answer today is this, why does it matter that Jesus is the good shepherd? Why does it matter? What's it mean for you? The first thing I think we can take from this text is this, it matters one, because he knows me. He knows me. Verse 14 says it very clearly. Jesus speaking says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. See, culture would tell you you have to put a filter on it. Like don't let people see the ugly side of life. You've got to show the pretty and the pristine and the perfect. I mean, if you've got, you got a blemish, you've got to find a different angle because we want to show perfection. I mean, parents, you know your kids. You love your kids. You know them deeply. You know what they like, what they dislike, what motivates them, their habits. But God knows you fully. He knows you deeply, intimately. See, you are fully known by God. Fully known by God. I mean, he knows every detail of your life. I think sometimes we use the verse, he knows every hair on your head, and I think that's a great verse, but sometimes, personally, I think it's a little too cliche. of like, oh, of course he does. But what that means is when you show the filtered version of your life to everyone, God knows the moments that you're weeping in your bathroom just looking for a moment to break. He knows the hurt that you come with, the shame from past mistakes, the guilt you've had from your life. He knows it fully. And he still knows you personally. He still chases after you. And to be honest, I think it's a little scary, isn't it? Like my wife knows me pretty well, but to know me like Jesus? I don't wanna tell her those, like I wanna hide those things. I want to protect myself. So what do we do with somebody who fully knows us? Point number two, not only does he know you, but he loves you. He accepts you. He accepts you. Verses 15 and 16 say, just as the Father knows me, and I know my fa- the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, what what would happen here is culture would tell you that they'll accept you if you fit into the right mold, you know. If you have the same belief or actions or thoughts, if you have these views, absolutely, come on, welcome to the family. But God says, no, 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 I'm gonna meet you where you are. Despite your views, despite your mistakes, despite your struggles, I'm coming to you. See, because when you meet God, not only are you fully known, but he also chooses to fully love you. That's crazy, right? To be fully known and fully loved. Again, I love my wife Hannah, and she knows me really well. She loves me really well, but I begin to wonder if she knew me like God did, would she have married me? She knew the mistakes and the regrets and the things that I've done in my past. Will she actually love me if she actually knew me? And I think this is the point that we struggle with the most, if I'm honest with you. I get that he fully knows me, but how can he fully love me? How can he do this? And I think we respond in a few different ways. The first way that we can respond to this good news, this truth, this hope, is to say, no, 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 I'm too bad. Like, God, I'm too far gone, I'm too messed up, there's no way you can love me. It can't be done. God, if you knew what I did this past weekend, if you knew what I did in my past, God, if you knew how I've hurt people and the words that I've said, friends, he knows and he still loves you. He leans into that hurt and is fully known and fully loved. So you might respond by saying, no, I'm too bad. You may take the opposite approach and say, no, no, no. Of course God loves me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a good dude. Like for real, I, I pay my taxes. I pray before I eat. I'm a good guy. Why would God not love me? I mean, does he know Sarah? Does he know Tony? Does he know this person? I mean, they're, they're, they're messed up, but, but me? Oh, they, he would love me. And we begin to find our acceptance and our value and I would dare to even say our salvation And our own morality. Friends, if you're you're comparing yourself off of others to get into heaven, you're missing the point. Because what God has done for you is he has loved you in spite of you. He loves you deeply. And I think this is where we have to be very, very careful. Because the first two responses that I'm too bad or I'm too good is the natural. But the third response that we need to lean into and claim every day is that I respond by loving God more. Because he has loved me and chased after me as we just sang about, I respond in worshiping him with my life. But again, if I'm honest, our pride and our shame drive us to these first two responses. But friends, this, the third response, to worship him, to fall more in love with him, that is where we find life abundant, as it says in verse 10. Again, we can either say not good enough, too good, or we can worship the creator for who he is. So the question becomes again, why does it matter that Jesus is the good shepherd? He knows me, he accepts me. Point number three, he died for me. He died for me. Again, not only does he know me and accept me, he said it with his actions by dying for me. Verse 17, it says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, so you wanna know what culture would say in this moment? Canceled. And we live in a cancel, cancel culture. Of course, you make one mistake, doesn't matter what you've done, you're out. And when culture will kill you, our God will come and die for you. And if that doesn't just like floor you, like, oof, the world we live in will take you for all you got. And again, our God will take you in spite of what you've got. He is willing to chase you down and go to the point of death for you. And I think here's the, the danger of today. Just like I was in the river, I think it's like, oh, of course, this is a good symbolism, like whatever. There was danger that day. I could have hit a rock, whatever happened. Like there's actual physical danger. And for you, everybody in this room, there was a danger coming. Because in our own efforts, in our own sin, we were heading towards destruction. Without hope, without a chance, 100%, one for one, everyone heading to life separated from God because of our mistakes. But in that moment, Jesus died for you. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you that much. Deeply, deeply loves you. And what's interesting, again, if you're going back to this passage of the comparison, the Pharisees, the the leaders of that day, the hired hand, you know what happens when the danger comes? They're gone. Peace out, see you later. I'm not not dealing with that wolf. I'm about to go get a sandwich. Like, that's not happening. You sheep figure it out. But Jesus, the good shepherd, instead said, no, 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 I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna be faithful. and faithful even to the point of death. See, that is the God we serve, a God that not only fully knows us, but fully loves us and shows it through the way that he would die for us. And here's the thing, not only did he die for you, Point number four, he rose for me. He rose for you. He rose for you. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. You know, culture would say, uh, huh, I guess it wouldn't actually. Because you're already canceled at that point. See, culture has left you on the side of the road, bloody and beaten. But God instead enters in with the authority that only he has and chases you down and loves you endlessly. He loves you to the point of death and resurrection because you are worth it for him. Every single one of you individually worth it for him. See, I love last week, it was Easter Sunday and we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, we get our nice clothes on for the first time in a year and we come and we have a great time praising the Lord and we celebrate what he has done on the cross and how he has risen from the grave and sometimes we then forget. We turn the page to Monday and it's like, oh yeah, it's just a normal day again. But friends, we can rest assured in the resurrection today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. If you were to wake up every day and claim and remember the fact that Jesus has died for you and risen again, your life would be forever changed. It would change your motives, your thoughts, your actions, where you gain your advice from, because he is that good. Tim Keller, a pastor up in New York, says this, talking about the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Friends, this can be your good shepherd today. If you believe in the resurrection, if you are following after him, he can be your good shepherd. Because what's awesome is that God was faithful in the biggest thing. He was faithful to do the thing that we could not do in defeating sin and death. And if God was faithful then in the big thing, he'll be faithful now in the little things, the day by day, the little actions, the little advice. His word will be faithful to help guide you as you look and let it search your heart. And he'll be faithful in his loving kindness to draw you closer to himself. We have a good, good shepherd. If you were with us back in the fall, we were going through a series called Panic. It was in the midst of pandemic, not that it's necessarily over, but it was the height of it. And we were running around like, I'm so afraid, I don't know what to do. Can I get toilet paper? Can, will the stock market crash? What? I don't know what's happening. And there was so much fear and anxiety that crippled everyone. So we as a a staff and as a church began to walk through the 23rd Psalm. It's a Psalm written by David, King David, describing God as the good shepherd. And here we are in John where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. So what I want us to do today to close out, and this is something we don't do every single week, but I want us to really rest and conclude in Psalm Twenty-three. So we'll have it on the screen, but what I want us to do is I want us to read this aloud together. Because as we read it together, sometimes you're a verbal processor. Let these truths and these promises rest on you. And again, I'm not saying like a high school baseball, you know, Lord's Prayer, like our Father Heart in heaven, I'll Like slowly take it in and rest in this promise. Would you stand as we read this together? Again, it'll be on the screen, Psalm 23, For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, you can take that word to the bank. Again, I don't know where your advice comes from, but this is something you can rest your life on because it is good. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for today and thank you for these people who come in and we're honest with you, God. God, I thank you for the hurt that was brought to your feet, God, and I pray that you continue to mend those hurting moments. God, comfort the, the hurting soul, God the one who is far from you that sees you as distant or demanding or devious, wondering when you will show up, God, maybe it's right now. So for those who in this room maybe have not made a decision to follow Jesus, today's the day. I'm not saying you have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have a theological degree, but today is the day to say, this is a good shepherd, and I will stake my life on him. And maybe you're a believer in the room, who's going through a weary season. Again, you you heard me talk about crying in the bathroom and you thought, man, how was he in my house last night? It's kind of weird. God, would you be the one who is comforting them? Would your rod and your staff guide them through the valley of the shadow of death? Would you be the one who brings them peace that surpasses all understanding? God, would you do all of these things for your glory and your glory alone